The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. We start the show today with a look inside the prison system in Western Canada. Our first guests today, Dr. Kevin Haggerty and Dr. Sandra Brusarius, both with the University of Alberta, started the University of Alberta Prison Project as a way of looking into radicalization behind prison walls. But over the past three years, it has evolved now into one of the biggest prison studies in the world. Dr. Hagerty, Dr. Basarius, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming in studio. Good afternoon. Uh, who wants to start first with uh, telling me how this began? I can start. Okay. Um, it's interesting you just said you were in California down this weekend because I was there as well. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, um, okay, so in terms of the study, um, both of us had done uh, different types of work. Um, me with um, criminally involved populations before. I've done a lot of work involving drug dealers uh, back in Germany. And Kevin uh, has done quite a bit of work uh, with law enforcement officials in, in the past, um, but we had both not really uh, done a lot of research on prisons um, before we created the University of Alberta Prison Project. And the way this study came about um, was really by coincidence. We had an MA student in our cohort at the University of Alberta, um, William Schultz, um, who was interested in looking at how correctional officers think about radicalization in the prison space. Mm. And he had come into my office and asked me whether I think it might be uh, possible to do research on this particular topic. Um, so I made a couple of phone calls to um, different ministries um, that I knew who were working, who are essentially correctional justice ministries, and asked whether or not uh, they would allow this particular student to do the study that I just mentioned um, and we got positive feedback and actually um, what had started out as just a small MA, MA project uh, for uh, a student who was interested to do 30 interviews has now become into a much larger study uh, with I think to date 660 interviews with prisoners in both provincial and federal institutions and about 170 interviews uh, with staff in both provincial and federal institutions. So, Dr. Kevin Hagerty, when you when we talk about radicalization, right. is that when we hear the word radicalization, is that what we're talking about? You know, the the typical well, whether it's you know. Well, I think you have to be careful because um, there are stereotypes about what mm -hmm. people come to that come to mind for people. But essentially, radicalization, how we approached it, was essentially extremist types of beliefs and politics. So this can cover a whole range yeah. of different positions on the political spectrum. This can cover. Uh, right-wing extremists, it can cover um, environmental extremists, mm -hmm. uh, religious extremists. So we were interested generally in thinking about not so much are there radicals in prison, because there, there are, but more is, is prison a space that, that fosters this? Is that this a serious concern uh, in these institutions? Is it? Uh, in provinces that we were studying, Not no. The, the, really? the short answer is no, this is not a major concern. There is always... You know, you always have to be careful with this kind of things because there could be. There's always the danger that there's one or a couple people who are sort of dangerous, etc. But as a as a consistent 
problem. It's not the case. And here, I think you have to think about the situation in Europe, where you have places, for example, like France, where mm. this is a very serious concern. There are there's entire units that are now dedicated to prisoners that have been identified as radical. Mm. Um, we were tr interested in whether something like that might be happening in Western Canada. And I guess one of the good news stories of our research is that's not the case. So is it just, a, would the difference be be maybe the, the, the population flow and the way that people are, are, are traveling? Right. Compared to, like, if you look at France, mm -hmm. uh, like the system that you were just talking about compared to Western Alberta, would it just be, what's the difference there? So, I mean, the research question we were interested in is, is as uh, Kevin just explained, was not are there individuals who might be radicalized, but are prisons a space in which okay. radicalization, radicalization occurs and um, radical groups can recruit others into their groups? Um, and I think the reason that, that that we are not seeing that in our particular research context is um, one of the reasons anyways is that um, prisons in the Western Canadian context are uh, very heavily uh, housing um, diverse populations, lots of um, over incarceration uh, with respect to our indigenous populations who uh, tended to not be part of uh, radical groups in our research setting. Um, and um, the inmate code that exists between prisoners on these particular units uh, very much worked against uh, radical groups. Mm. So what we were seeing in our research context, and we've written on that, is that um, the general inmate population, or we use the term inmate and prisoner interchangeably, so the general inmate population um, is very much uh, forming um, a subculture against radicalization and squashes those uh, radical beliefs um, before they could basically take over on the prison units. And so you found in Western Canada then that that wasn't an, an, an issue, but you didn't stop there. You continued on. And, and so so from there, you, you continued to talk to inmates. You continued to talk to uh, the prison population. Um, you know, at that point, what did you decide you, you wanted to look at? What did you want to find? And my other question then to follow up on that is, how did you get them to talk to you? Yeah, well, there's several questions there. Yeah. So I'll, just, I'll just start with, I don't think it was so much that we... we um, change topics, but in sort of we learn things organically through the process. So I think you have to think about, maybe this gets at your second question, is you can't just go into a prison and ask people, so are you <laughs> radical or are there radicals here? So you go in and you ask people about, you know, what day, what's a day look like for you? What are the challenges that you face, problems that you have? What kind of groups are there in here? And, um, this is all part of rapport building and learning about the institution and it was during a lot of those kind of preliminary discussions we learned a tremendous amount of things about the day-to-day -day routines in prison the challenges uh that prisoners inmates face uh, culture of correctional officers so there's we can talk about several of those things in terms of um how the how we got them to talk to us or why they might be interested in talking to us is um, there really is no history of this type of research, mm -hmm. independent um, criminologists or sociologists going into prison in Canada. Uh, it's just been 
it's been very hard to get access. So we weren't sure what would happen. We really didn't know. So we would go on to units and we would essentially recruit people, say who we are, what we were interested in, and ask them if they wanted to sign up. And they signed up in droves. Uh, they, you have to remember, some of these individuals, they, they aren't doing much during the day. Mm-hmm. They're sitting on, they're sitting idle. A lot of them have stories that they're eager to tell. I think once we developed some rapport and once they trusted us, they were very, you know, uh, active, you know, in, in this process. You have been quoted as saying that you were told a remarkable range of things <laughs> about a remarkable <laughs> range of things. Yeah. Well, it, like, yeah. you know, when, it, can you can you expand on that? So, um, for example, uh, one of the first questions I always ask in interviews is to say, tell me whatever you want me to know about yourself, and then I'll go through my set of questions. Um, and some of the prisoners um, that we talked to uh, told me right off the bat, for example, about their childhood experiences in the foster care system, about um, sexual or physical victimization that they have themselves experienced um, as children, uh, about their upbringing. And that obviously opened up um, many other topics that we now are more systematically inquiring into. So in the federal system uh, that we are currently uh, doing research in, we are very specifically doing research on the victim-offender overlap. So this idea that um, many of the inmates that are currently in jails in Western Canada have been victims before they ever had contact with the criminal justice system. So that history is there. You oh, can right. trace, you can trace yeah. back. Yeah, so that's one of the topics uh, that has organically uh, evolved from our or emerged from our original data set. Um, and the other topic that we are now um, very heavily focusing on is how the opioid crisis um, has had uh, an influence in uh, behind bars and is playing out behind bars uh, both among prisoners and staff. You know what I wanted to get uh, I wanted to take a deeper dive into yeah. that into that topic so why don't we take a break here at 217. Sure. Dr. Kevin Hagerty joining me in studio along with Dr. Sandra Basarius. They are working on the University of Alberta Prison Project um, and it has turned into one of the largest prison studies in the world. We'll, we'll continue our conversation right after this. We're talking with Dr. Kevin Haggerty and Dr. Sandra Busarius, both from the University of Alberta. Uh, Dr. Haggerty is a professor at the, Uni- at the U of A, the editor with the Canadian Journal of Sociology and the principal investigator on the University of Alberta Prison Project. Dr. Sandra, uh, an associate professor of arts and sociology at the University of Alberta. And we're talking about this Alberta Prison Project. Before we went to the break, you guys must have big business cards let me tell you <laughs> uh, before we went to the break we we, we talked a, a little bit uh, about the drug issues inside or behind the prison walls and you witnessed that we we've seen uh, the fentanyl crisis grow uh, in in Western Canada certainly in Alberta over the past number of years the opioid crisis tell us about what you saw uh, when you were when you were doing this research so the research started several years ago now when we were first entering the prisons and and the, you know, the fentanyl, the opioid crisis was really kind of just hitting or becoming a, a prominent public issue. And this was something that we were seeing in real time. You, so you'd asked uh, in the men and women we're interviewing, you know, what are the challenges in here or what are the challenges in your life? And the drug situation was front and center. People were overdosing on a fairly regular basis. You'd go on to units. I mean, we, I went on one unit, so seven people had overdosed in the last week. Um, and that's not 
overdose doesn't mean that they necessarily that they died mm -hmm. they're sort of resuscitated etc but this is changing the dynamics in prison in terms of the risks and the dangers and even what it means to be a correctional officer because a lot of them now are um, resuscitating people as part of their job on a regular basis in a way that this was not particularly common. So it's it's touching on a whole range of things inside the prison. The pipeline of drugs even getting into the prison. How how is that happening? Um, there's this is a there this is nothing remarkable. That no. almost every prison in the yes. world has drugs. They have different profiles of drugs. They have different amounts of drugs. Um, they come in in innumerable different ways. I don't want to get too graphic. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> use your imagination. So there, is, there are lots of avenues for bringing in drugs there and the the usual it's interesting because the usual um focus of correctionals has been sort of focused on interdiction how do we stop it getting in knowing that some's always going to get in i think that because of the opioid crisis because it's so extreme i think they're starting to think more concretely about harm reduction and we can talk a little bit about that i was going to say but because there is one of the facilities here in alberta that started a program behind the walls to help deal with uh, overdoses didn't they so that is now in the federal system we need mm. to uh, differentiate okay. between the provincial and the federal system so in the federal system in the canadian context essentially anyone who's sentenced over two years will go to the federal system and the and several federal institutions now have um, um, safe consumption sites so those would be essentially places where you can go and consume drugs that you yeah. may have on you um, and then there's um, needle exchange programming also in the federal institutions so those are places in which you can receive a safe needle and essentially uh, inject uh, cleanly. Mm -hmm. um, so curious to know we, you touched on it you mentioned it a couple times and we don't have a whole lot of time to get into it but when you talk about the culture of, of correctional officers you did talk with with uh, the folks working in there as well um, what did you learn from them so with respect to uh, ongoing challenges <laughs> as everything changes I'm guessing as well with Fentanyl. Yeah, with yeah. respect to fentanyl, um, correctional officers and staff were more concerned, uh, for example, when they would be carrying out searches uh, that they might get inadvertently exposed to fentanyl. Um, so at the time when we were doing our research, there were a couple of um, media cases that came to attention where correctional officers or police officers had been inadvertently exposed uh, to the substance. What you need to know is that lots of drugs um, can be cut with fentanyl so you don't necessarily know what mm -hmm. you're finding whether or not you have powder cocaine in front of you or um, whether that substance that you see might be fentanyl and then there was initially a lot of uh, misinformation as well with respect to whether or not you can overdose for example or get exposed by simply touching it or whether or not it has to yeah. uh, be inhaled or whether or not you can only overdose when you consume it and so the staff uh, was concerned about these aspects and they weren't necessarily sure how to deal with fentanyl at the time you um, you and your team have been given really um, kind of remarkable access to um, to something that most Canadians would never get to see. I mean, I, I think of, you know, life behind bars and I think of like Orange is New Black, right? Like that's what, you know, that's about my extent of knowledge uh, when it comes to the, to the prison system. Uh, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, or if it's, if it's fair, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask it anyway, but um, what are we doing right and what could we do better? Um, 
I guess maybe the first thing you started in terms of the access, I think one of the things we did, we, uh, Senator, I did want to say we do we do have a large team of people. Uh, I think we should sort of mention some of them. Uh, uh, Ashley Kyle, uh, Justin Tetro, who am I missing? Luca Barari, Luca Barari Jan, Jones. Jan Jones. We have several people who are part of this. In terms of what we're doing right, I guess one of the things that's interesting is uh, I don't know if we're doing right or if just the culture is different. We were just we were just at a presentation talking about how in the institutions we were at, if you compare it with the kind of stereotype of kind of the racially segregated, mm. violent uh, presence in the United States, that doesn't seem to be the case. Okay. So that's something, whether we're doing something right or whether this is something about Canadian national identity and, uh, you know, nods to multiculturalism, etc. That stereotype that you get from all those TV shows or pe you know, okay. pieces you read from California and Texas, that's not the case. There is much more... Um, uh, people get along across kind of cultural lines. Uh, um, I think that's fair to say. But it has to be mentioned that yeah. we have a very stark over-incarceration yeah. of the indigenous population yeah. and that is certainly something we that we do not do right and yeah. where the system has to learn a lot yeah. but that gets at the broader system changes that might be needed and um, where different criminal justice institutions and other social systems um, have to really change their way of thinking um, so that that relates yeah. to the foster care system, child and family welfare service. Um, so many layers. School system, mm. etc. Yeah. Before we run out of time, where does this go from here? Uh, where does What do you do with it? In, in the end, what do you hope comes from it? So we really hope that uh, our research findings can uh, be used to make evidence-based changes uh, in the system. So there are different ways of thinking about that. So for example, with our finding that most um, inmates are victims first. Um, our findings speak to the need of proper counseling. Um, many of the participants that we spoke to have never really received proper yeah. counseling in the system. Um, another aspect to talk to is uh, to talk about is uh, victim services. So when uh, inmates who are currently incarcerated are subpoenaed by the court um, and need to make witness statements, statements uh, with respect to, for example, sexual abuse that they experienced um, during their childhood. Typically, they are not um, receiving victim services for their witness statements, even though they are obviously mm -hmm. uh, providing statements as a victim. Um, so there are different ways with respect to system changes that we're hoping to achieve through our data with respect to that, but then also with respect to the drug situation, mm -hmm. there are different aspects we can talk and, about. And I think when you when you talk about sort of, you know, the legacies of colonialism mm. and the massive uh, disproportionate representation of indigenous people there right there is some culturally sensitive and appropriate uh, programming but there's lots of need for for more of this so i think that that's something that jumps out in these kind of spaces if uh, folks wanted to read more about um the uh, university of alberta prison project is there a place where people yep. can find out more <laughs> we're laughing about this because we've been negligent about getting our our web our web page up for about i don't know half a year <laughs> we have a twitter handle which is at the uapp and we will be getting our website Okay. up this week. We also have some uh, articles that are already published, okay. uh, academic articles. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, look forward to reading more about this in, in the coming months and, and years to come. Uh, Dr. Kevin Hagerty and Dr. Sandra Baserius, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you.